I know that there are some pastors who teach in series, and some people are good at doing that, and I may at some time. It's, it's not the way I process. It's not the way I think. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I, I tend to, my, the sermons that I preach and the, what I do from behind this sacred desk tends to come from something that's been triggered within my heart uh, within the last, usually within the last week, maybe two weeks or something that's been stirring for a while. Sometimes it happens a little differently than that, but that's generally what it is, and th- that's, that's what today is. Uh, I stood here last week or sat over here as I watched the uh, graduates of Bethesda Christian School, watched them graduate, fine, fine young people. And last Sunday in our service, we honored all the graduates of, of Bethesda Church that are completing their some level of education. And then further, uh, my week's experience, uh, I spent the latter part of last week in, in a recording studio in Nashville producing new missions music uh, for the Assemblies of God World Missions Department, which I've done every year for the last 300 years or so. <clears throat> uh, in the vocal session, I had uh, some absolutely incredibly talented, humble, and godly young adults from that group, People and Songs, that we had here last November. wasn't the same ones, but I met some other of their fine group and just so touched and moved to see young people with an incredible heart for Jesus. Well, you put all this together, all this exposure to, uh, to younger people and to passionate young people, and to this old pastor, an old music pastor, that kind of close and personal uh, interaction with precious young people stirs two very strong emotions within me. Uh, for once again, I, I'm come face to face with the very strongly pronounced differences between the younger generation and the more seasoned, don't you love that word? <laughs> seasoned generation like me. <clears throat> it does, um, when that interaction happens, I'm not saying it never does any other time, it was just sort of compacted right now. It does nothing but fortify my desire to be right in the middle of mentoring those who are following along behind us in the kingdom of God. Those of you who've heard me talk about this in the past, you know that I experienced a day uh, many years ago when I felt like the mentor in me was unlocked. I had lived my life and been busy doing what I was doing as minister of music here and, um, and just, you know, working toward the next thing and getting the next service, the next, you know, holiday season, uh, it ready and whatever all that was, and no, with no thought to the gen- uh, generation coming up behind me. But then, when you get a little older, a little more seasoned, all of a sudden, you begin to notice there is a generation. They they begin to get your attention, and they really get your attention when they come and ask you questions. And there's curiosity from them. How how does this happen in the church? How 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 did how did you do that? And how to, doesn't mean we're right about everything, but it does mean we've been doing it quite a while. And and so when they began to, what happens is they they pull their curiosity and their interest in ministry. It pulls something out of a of an old person like me. And I began to I began to literally feel one day it was actually right here. It was a young man who I have not seen since literally unlocked the mentor in me. And, and so that's what's happened is that's gotten all stirred up again to me in the last 10 days. And my passion for any young person who genuinely loves Jesus, who wants to be found busy in the work of the kingdom of God, who wants to please the Lord in all their ways, that passion in me has no bounds. 
and it has been all stirred up in the last few days. And then it was added to a little bit because a, a good pastor friend of mine uh, who pastors in the northeast part of the United States, he contacted me and he said, Dan, I'm, um, we've been friends for many, many years. Um, in fact, he was at one time a minister of music, very successful minister of music, had some very, very fine churches in California and in the Midwest and, and other places. And then can you imagine God called a minister of music to be a senior pastor? Can you believe that? Isn't that odd? Well, it happened for him too, a, a little different. He did, he's not pastoring where he served as music pastor, but he literally is planting a church. I'll tell you who it is. We've mentioned his name here. It's, it's my dear friend Randall Quackenbush, who's pastoring in uh, Boston. We support him and his wife, Shelley, uh, as they're planting a church. Planting is not an easy thing to do. Those of you who've been involved in a church plant, you know that. And they're working near Berkeley College, and, and uh, the son of Pastor Brenda and David Hardiman, uh, their son Reagan, is working with them there. And so we kind of have Reagan on loan up there to Boston for a while. And so he called me, Randall, my dear friend, called. He says, Dan, I'm, I'm on a sabbatical for some period of time, few weeks, whatever it is, and, um, and he says, I'm, I'm expanding my, um, uh, my education. I'm studying at Oxford in the UK for this time that I'm away on sabbatical. And he says, and I have a favor to ask of you, and he said, um, I'm doing some particular study on worship in the church and the history of worship in the church and kind of looking at what's happened to choirs in the Western culture and the way music has, uh, has morphed uh, in the church in the Western culture. Do you have anything you'd like to say about that? <laughs> I wrote him back and I said, I, you don't want to ask me. You don't want to ask me that because I have way more to, to say than, than you want. You see, not only have I worked in the church in music, but most of you know I've, I've worked with um, all of the Christian publishers. I've logged my dozens of hours in the offices of Integrity and Lifeway and Word and Brentwood Benson and, and music publishers just to talk about what's happened and what's changed, what's, what's different and why, you know, do you know, Bethesda, you may not know this, those of you who just come in here every week, how blessed we are to have a choir like what you heard this morning. And so, you know, I've been in all the dialogue you know, forever about what's changing and what's different, you know, uh, about that and, and how the sound of choirs doesn't, is not as palatable to a younger generation as it was to my generation, et cetera, and all that hogwash. And um, <clears throat> we've, had, we've had all those conversations. But in all of the um, examination that I've been a part of in uh, looking at, at worship today, there's, a, there's sort of a foundational um, concept that has, that has riveted itself to my heart that helps me understand why we have some of the differences that we have uh, generationally. One is this, that I, and I do this based upon many decades of experience and, and observation. Let's say a 20-year-old comes before the Lord in their worship with a, um, with a possibly, if I hope I'm using the right word here, a romantic sense of what God is going to be to them in their future. The biggest part of their life lies in front of them. And so they come with their hopes, they come with their dreams, they come 
with their joy at the life Christ has given them, but there is a hopeful sense for the future, and that is the posturing of themselves before the Lord. It affects how they worship. It affects what uh, triggers them in worship. It affects everything that they think about the Lord. And then you get one of us seasoned uh, folks, and we tend to worship from the sense of what God has been. We've, we've got some life journey behind us. And, and we, do I have any of those in the house today? Okay. And we, we tend to look at, 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 that's why it's easy for us to sing, great is thy faithfulness, right? Because we found God to be faithful because we've raised kids, hello, and and we've, we've, we've had some more life journey. We've probably experienced a few things that a 20-year-old has not yet had the opportunity to encounter in, the, in their life journey. But our posturing of worship, um, our posturing of worship is, is, tends to be more out of gratitude and acknowledge the greatness of God for what He has done. Now, one is not better than the other. Please don't. If, you've, if that's what you're hearing me say, that's not my intention. There's just different postures of worship. We come from different positions in our worship. And all of this brings me to the point of confronting the two very strong emotions which are running through me in the uniqueness of these last few days. Can I just share them with you, what I want to do this morning? The first thought that is in my spirit is the thought of anticipation and excitement because if for one minute this morning or if for one fraction of a second. The heavens would open, and you could catch a glimpse wherever you are in your life journey, in your journey of worship, and you could just catch a glimpse of what God has in store for you, uh, the plan that He has, the, the goodness of the life that He's prepared for you, the incredible adventure that He has for you, the destiny that He has for you, no matter how old you are in the process. And, and all of the things that your destiny and your future could mean. And, and yes, for those of you who are single this morning, for, for the husband or the wife that God has or is preparing for you. Some of you are just now starting to pay attention to me. Now he's preaching. And for you, for you young married, newly married couples, for, for the children that God will be giving you and for the joy of the journey of parenting, and it is a joyful journey. A few bumps along the way. but it is a joyous journey. And then there's those of you who are in my season of life awaiting the very best part, and that is the grandchildren that God will give to you. Oh my, how did that slip up in here this morning? I don't know. Projection, how did you do that? She'll be here in a week or so, hallelujah. I may be a little less available that week when she's here. Okay, you can take it down. It's a big distraction to me right now. Take it down. Isn't she a gorgeous little girl? Well, it's, it's that incredible sense of awe at the limitless possibilities in the destiny that God has for you. And I, I want you to get a glimpse of that this morning. I wish I had the verbal skills and the oratory skills to communicate the depth that this is in my heart. This is one of those big picture messages that I'm having today. God has such a great plan for you. And when I see the students that we've just graduated, and when I see these young people, you know, I stand back and say, oh, God, 
You've got such wonderful days for them. They are ripe with possibilities of how you're going to send them out. Missions trips, Stephen, that they're going to get to be a part of and, and be a part of seeing people healed and touched and, and, and re redeemed and restored right in front of their eyes. It is incredible what God has for you. And what, his, what he has for you in your future, it is greater than your past. It's also greater than your hurts. It's greater than where you've come from, wherever that is. It's greater, far greater than the words of death that maybe have been spoken over you in your past somewhere. It's greater than the chains that have held you in bondage. The God of deliverance has a destiny for you, and it is greater simply because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And I want to again announce something that I know you know, but I would love to hear your agreement with me this morning that we must always remember that Satan is defeated in Jesus' name. That's one of the emotions that stirs within me when I walk the path I've walked the last few days. But the other emotion that is in my spirit <clears throat> Becky and I have been serving on staff at this church for over 40, 41 years. Oh, wow. And you can only imagine the hundreds of young people we have seen throughout the years. Walking in the fulfillment of God, seeking after Him, laying hold, grabbing onto, living in, tasting the goodness of God and the destiny that God has for them. Well, my, the other emotion that runs within me in these days is this. It's a sense of anger against the enemy along with a shudder in my spirit with trembling at the destinies that have been lost. With that in mind, I want to give you just one, one thought. This is not any fancy elaborate thing today. It's just it's my heart to you. I want to give you just one thought this morning. If you have to give it a title, if you're a title person, it would simply be this, in the valley with two kings. And I'm going to be bold enough this morning to say that if you will grab on to the truth that I'm going to share with you today, as God allows me by His Spirit, if you will grab on to it, it will allow you to protect God's destiny that He has for you and to possess what God has for you. I'm bold enough to say that because I believe it with all of my heart. And if you'll receive what I'm sharing with you this morning and live it every day of your life from this point forward, it will also enable you to crush your enemy's head every day and to overcome your past every day. And when stuff happens in your life, hurts, disappointments, tragedies, and those things that cut you to the bone, happens to all of us, it will allow you to make it through and to never be a quitter and to go the distance in God if you'll just listen to it and if you'll grab onto it today. So get your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 14. If you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible, I, I hope you'll begin doing that or start again doing that. I want to just mention something to you about Abraham. Genesis chapter 14. Now remember that God had spoken to Abraham and he said, I will bless you and you will become a blessing. God said to him, I have a destiny for you. You will come out from where you were. You will come out from the limitations of where you have lived. I will bless you, and I will cause you to be a blessing, God said to Abram. 
There's something else, and this is a pivotal, pivotal point for what I want to communicate to you that I'm asking you to remember as we talk these few minutes this morning, and that is that the Bible exhorts us to consider Abraham a model of faith. Now, we know Jesus is our ultimate example, but the Bible also points to Abraham and says, look at him. Look at his life. Learn from his life and his example what it is to live a life of faith by observing Abraham. Well, in this 14th chapter of Genesis, which, by the way, we'll be reading that together next month in our Immersed Bible reading when you join with us beginning the first week of July, in, uh, we start in Genesis. When you'll find in this 14th chapter that Abraham just had experienced a great victory. He, when he was not really had, had been known to have been and wasn't really a man of war, but he had gone after some of his people who had been taken captive, and most notably, his nephew Lot. And he decided, okay, it's time for me to fight. And he, he did go into battle. God gave him favor, and he came back victorious. He had a great victory. And so now he's come back, and this is a moment of celebration. Keep all this in mind. I'm painting the atmosphere and the situation for you here. He's in a moment of celebration. And it feels like to him that everything is possible. We all know what it is to have those uh, victory, large or small. And in that moment, it, there's an adrenaline that rushes through you. And, and you begin to think, wow, I could, I could conquer the world. I could, nothing's impossible to me. Then he comes to this unique moment that we're going to read here. And he comes into a valley where he's going to meet two kings. Now, this is worthy of our close attention today because you and I we'll meet these two kings every day of our life. In fact, we are meeting these two kings every day of our life. Genesis 14, I'm beginning in verse 17. And the king of Sodom, say king of Sodom, whose name happened to be Bera, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. After Abram's return, return from the defeat of Cato, uh, oh, there's two pronunciations, Kedaleomar, and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, say king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. There's a whole sermon right there, folks, but I'm not going to preach that one today, okay? Verse 21, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and you take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will take nothing, not so much as a thread or a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, King of Sodom, that you have made Abram rich. You know, church, it's been only a few weeks ago or months ago that I preached a sermon on let us be the people of the lifted hands. It's one of those sermons that just kind of keeps percolating in my spirit. And I, you know, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We've always lifted our hands. It's, it's what we did. I'm not sure we will ever fully understand 
the full reason and impact and significance of being a, the people, a, a people of the lifted hand. There is, I think there's more to it. When you begin, when you study it deeper, there's more to the significance of being people with lifted hands. Look what Abram said here. He's just come back from victory. He says, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High. By the way, you know who that is? He's the possessor. He's, some versions say, the creator of the heaven and earth. That's what I have done. I want us to remember that when Jesus in the New Testament spoke of the kingdom of God, he instructed you and I to think about it one day at a time. One day at a time. In Matthew 6 and in Luke 12, he urges us to think of today. Grab hold of the kingdom of God, its purposes, its design for you today. It's the today. It's Sunday, June 2nd, 2019. It's the today the kingdom of God is within you. Other places in Scripture echo this same idea. As they say, you know, His mercies are new every morning. There is a dailiness, there's a todayness to our understanding of our functioning within the kingdom of God. The battles in the kingdom of God, dear ones, are won or lost in our every day. Now, it doesn't matter where you are today in this process. You may be a student. You may be a worker. You may have Christian parents. Your family may be unsaved. You may be going through a very hard time. You may leave this place today and go back to an atmosphere that is hellish and horrible, or you may go back to a great Christian home. You may be in a moment of victory right now. You may, not, you may really know God well, or you may not know Him at all. You, maybe you're living in victory, or possibly you're in captivity with chains all around you in the swirl of your life, wherever you are, every mo morning that you live, you, like me, face two kings. So Abram came back to, came to this valley, and the first king he met is what theologians call a theophany. There's another word uh, like it is, it's Christophany. Basically, it means it is an appearance of God. Theophany, appearance of God. Christophany, an appearance of Christ. They're, they're somewhat similar there. Theophany, that's who Abram first encounters, the first king in the valley. So what is a theophany? It is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. What do you mean? Was Christ alive in the Old Testament? We thought he was born in the New Testament when the Virgin Mary, his mother, gave birth to him. Let me just tell you something. Many times in the Old Testament, there are indicators or pointers of the Christ who will be born to that virgin in the New Testament. In special moments in the Old Testament, there, God is revealing the Christ who is to come or his purpose in coming. In fact, one of the reasons, quite frankly, that well, one of the many reasons that we're, that we're beginning to read the Old Testament next month together is this. You cannot truly fully understand or appreciate or value all of the New Testament without grasping the Old Testament. You need it all. Now, we started with the New Testament, but you're, to really understand some of the questions that you may still have about the New Testament reading we just went through the first 16 weeks of this year, you need to go with us on the journey of the Old Testament. And all of it, the Old Testament, even though you think, well, Christ wasn't, it all points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, so here we find Abram, 
in the valley after his victory, and he encounters Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Say king of Salem. I want you to walk out of here with those two kings' names in your mind. King of Salem. Salem is the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. Okay? That's, that's the ancient name, what it's referred to. It's really saying he's the king of Jerusalem. And the Bible says this. Melchizedek comes, Pastor Brent, where are you? With the bread and the wine. I was quite struck that that's the song you chose to sing this morning. That's what we just read. Melchizedek comes with the bread and the Why is that significant? What does that matter? Because Melchizedek is announcing that Jesus will be giving his body and his blood. That is the signpost that we get from the Old Testament pointing to the new. When Melchizedek, king of Salem, he brings the bread and the wine, signifying that there is coming a day when the great Redeemer will come, the great Deliverer will come, and he will be giving his body and his blood. So Melchizedek comes with the bread and the wine. He comes to bless Abram in the name of God Most High, whom he declares to be the creator of heaven and earth, and the one who has defeated your enemies for you. Give me just a minute to talk about Melchizedek. He's the only person who Abram recognized as his spiritual superior. Abram accepted a blessing from him and paid him a tenth or a tithe of all that he had. Think about that for a second. For Abram, who was pretty much the spiritual father and giant in the Old Testament, he recognized the power and authority and spiritual significance of another general in the army of God, if you will, in Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And for him to then immediately offer a tithe and to give a tenth of what he had, it shows to us an even greater greatness in Abraham. It shows how unthreatened and how humble Abram was even after a great victory. Abram recognized that God's revelation was not limited to him. And it's interesting to note that while the reader's attention is focused on Abram carrying the whole spiritual hope of the world, there emerged out of an obscure Canaanite valley a man nearer to God than Abram was who blessed Abram. Abram swore before the Lord, God most high creator of heaven and earth, that he would take nothing that belonged to the king of Sodom. He's not going to touch it. Not going to touch it. Lest the king of Sodom try to take credit for it and say he was the one who made Abram rich. And this incident was a test of Abram's faith after a great victory. Can I just say this to you? Do you know when you will probably be tried the most? It will be right after a great victory. Doesn't mean you have to go looking for it or you have to be cautious of it. But it is certainly the testimony of my life. Some of my greatest tests and trials have happened right after a victory. Can I just tell you that is, if that's happened to you, it's the norm. It's the way it often is. But Abram, knowing what he, what he did about the king of Sodom, he felt that keeping Sodom's loot, which he had, which he had captured, would make him then subject to him, to the king of Sodom. And Abram wanted something far more enduring than possessions and wealth. He wanted the fulfillment of God's miraculous and enduring promise. Faith looks beyond the riches of this world to the grander prospects God has in store. And he intended to receive everything from God and not even a thread from Sodom. Please, please, Bethesda, listen to me this morning. Please walk away from this place with this reminder written in your heart.
the God whom we serve is the great deliverer. There's four of you. Anybody else agree with that? And I say this to you because I'm going somewhere, if you'll stay with me just a few more minutes. This is something that we believe, not only in the atmosphere of a service like this, great music, great energy, great, great praise, great worship, but we must live it and believe it every day of our lives, which includes Monday morning. Every morning when you awake, no matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulties are upon you, the Lord Jesus comes to you at the start of every day saying, my body and my blood are here for you. I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. I created the planets and hung them on nothing. I am able to deliver you from every enemy that you will face today. I am in you, and the one who is in you is greater than anything that is going to come against you on this day. That is how a believer in Jesus starts their day. He's the deliverer of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And he says, I'll take that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Well, I don't know who your king of Sodom is, who your enemy is. It may be anger. It may be bitterness. It could be pornography. It could be drugs, alcohol, temptation of any kind. And I'm here to declare to you that every morning, every morning, whether you've been aware of it, or you're hearing it for the first time, every morning there is a king that comes to you and meets you. And he says, I'm coming to you with the bread, and I'm coming to you with the wine. I'm coming with my body. I'm coming with my blood. It was offered for you. I died for you. I was resurrected for you, and I want to be your deliverer today. And when he comes to you, he knows everything about you. Everything about you. He knows what tempts you, the uniqueness of that which tempts you so greatly. And he knows that you feel the temptation is stronger than you are. And please understand, that which tempts you today may not be that which tempts you 5, 10, 20 years from now. It will change with the season of life. But the king who comes to you every morning with the bread and the wine, with his body and his blood, and he offers his resurrection power because he is the great deliverer who can fight your battles for you and conquer all of your enemies no matter what season of life you're in. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he has created everything that you need. Put your hands together and bless his name. there's another king who comes to you every day. It's the king of, we know the king of Salem comes offering deliverance and destiny. But to Abram in the valley was also came the king of Sodom who offered destruction. Now the Bible says that this king came from Sodom and the word Sodom in the Hebrew would indicate that he came from the place of the flames, the scorched place, the place of fire. It is a picture of that which you and I, um, we do not see in the visible realm, but yet it is so very real. It speaks of the satanic. It speaks of Satan himself. It speaks of darkness. It speaks of that which is evil, that which is temptation to us. It speaks of that which is our destruction. The king of Sodom comes to Abraham, and Abraham says something to him that if we get it this morning, 
it will be one of the greatest keys to overcoming him for the rest of your life. Because that which the king of Sodom said to Abraham in our text is the same thing that he says to you and me every day. He says this, take the goods, I want your soul. Take the goods, I want the souls. And he says that to you and me, he says take the goods, live for your fun, live for your pleasure. Live for what your friends think. Live for the party. Live for the money. Live for what, uh, that, that, the material gain that this world offers. And he has said it to millions and millions of people and especially to young people. And he has a clear purpose and intention. He wants to limit your life to a dimension of simply fulfilling momentary pleasures, but he'll take your soul. Live for the goods. Live for material things. Live for, the, live for the approval of friends and the approval of men. Live for the thrill. All of it is, is in the temptation to fulfill instant lust, instant pleasure, while losing your very own soul. But Abram had two responses that we need to see as he is our example and model today. Abram's first response was when he said, chapter 14, verse 22, when he was approached by Sodom, oh, no, but I have I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. Immediately he established his position. Immediately he established where he was in this conversation. You're offering me what? You're encouraging me to do what? Oh, oh, but I have raised my hand. I have raised my hands. And in the Old Testament context, the raising of the hands spoke of two things, which it speaks to us. It spoke of surrender, which it still speaks that to us today. But it also spoke of service. I have raised my hands in surrender to the one who created the heavens and the earth. And I've raised my hands because I'm saying, I am yours to command where you lead me. I belong to you. I am holy, holy yours. I will go with you. I will do anything you ask of me. Service and surrender. But then to the king of Sodom, who had said, live for the goods, live for the pleasure, live for your flesh. I want your soul. I want your destiny. I want your eternity. I want what you can accomplish that nobody else can. I want that. I want to remove your peace. I want to remove your joy in your life. I want to destroy your marriage. I want the life that God has prepared for you. And you know what? I can steal it from you. I can rip it from you. I want it, and I plan to take it. And I can abort all of those things if I can just convince you to live only for the pleasure of the moment. But Abraham said, I have had two responses. And I want to tell you, I've made them my, Dan's responses. And I pray they'll become your responses as well. Because just like me, just like Abram, we face two kings every day. You and I encounter both of them every day. And to the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, I say, I need you. Oh, I need you. I'm yours. Wherever you lead me today, whatever the circumstances are, how difficult the path, I'm yours. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am yours today. 
I need you. I lift my hands to you. Again today, I will be a person of the lifted hands, declaring both my surrender and my service, knowing full well that I cannot do it in my strength alone. I need the power of the resurrected Christ, but I need his body and his blood. And I believe as I lift my hands to you, I stand in confidence Regardless what my eyes may see today, regardless of the level of my faith today, I stand in complete confidence that you alone are my deliverer. You alone are the power over all of my enemies. But every day I also see the other king. And though to the king of Salem I say that I lift my hands to you, to the king of Sodom, I have a much different response response I've chosen as did Abraham. I will not touch anything that is of you. Not even a thread. That's what we read in our text. I will not touch anything that is of you. Church, can I ask you a direct and very straightforward question? When, when are we going to get really serious about living a holy life unto the king of Salem? There is a lifestyle of holiness to which we have been called. And I believe with all my heart that the very fact that we're addressing this issue this morning, it causes hell to tremble. I fear God enough and I love you enough to tell you what I believe, the conviction of my heart to be the truth. The king of Sodom does not want me to address this today. He does not want it exposed because Satan knows that the one, very one in this room right now who feels you are the weakest and the most vulnerable that if in this moment you made the decision this morning to be a person of lifted hands, to lift your hands to the king of Salem, accepting his body and his blood, walking in surrender and service to him, and made the decision to say to the king of Sodom, I'm not touching anything of yours, not even a thread. If that person, that weak and vulnerable person this morning, by the grace of God would say and have enough courage and strength within them to say, I'm not toying with it. I'm not going to see how close I can get to its scorching flames. I'm not going to touch the poison. I'm not going to touch that which can destroy me. At the moment you say not even a thread. Say it out loud with me right now. Not one more time. I want you to know, I don't care how weak you feel this morning. I don't care how enabled, incapable, how spiritually weak you feel this morning. If you will rise up enough, be a person of lifted hands, and say to the king of Sodom, not even a thread. I want you to know that when that moment comes, all power from heaven and the resurrected Christ will come upon you, and he will meet you there. He will make you capable of that which you are not capable of on your own. Make you able to do far more than you can ever do in your own strength. His delivering power will surge through your being and you will know what it is to have the life of Christ flowing through you. 
Now, folks, I've been around long enough for you to know me pretty well. I'm not a legalist. I'm not. But just to help make this clear to those who might want it clearer, let me tell you what not, a, not even a thread means. Not even a thread will impact your choice of movies. Not even a thread will impact the music that you listen to. Not even a thread means telling the truth even when it hurts. No lying. Not even a thread means godliness in your sexuality. Not even a thread. Whatever it is that the, that the enemy uses to tempt you, you will lift your hands to heaven. You will declare, not even a thread will I touch. Knowing that God in His sovereignty, in His power, the power of the resurrected Christ can keep you pure and clean in His sight. Hallelujah and blessed be His name. Young people, I'm almost done, maybe. Young people, do not throw away the life of holiness to which God has called you. I am so sick and tired of watching kids raised in the church, graduate from high school, go off to college, get subject to some godless professor who wouldn't know a spiritual thought if it knocked him in the head. Sorry. Am I telling the truth? Get exposed to the spirit of the age and a loosening of the grip of their understanding of the importance of living a godly, holy life before the Lord. I am tired of losing our kids out of the kingdom of God. And I'm willing to do whatever I have to do. You don't know how far I'd go. I'm willing to say whatever I have to say, whether it's popular with a congregation or with our constituency or not. I will declare the truth of the Word of God because I love your kids and I want to see them stay within the kingdom of God. Don't throw away the life of holiness and godliness to which God has called you because nothing this world, listen to this old man who's been down the journey of life, nothing this world has to offer is worth giving up your soul for. There's not one thing this world can give you, not even a thread. Not one thing this world can give you that is worth the exchange of your soul. Older people like me, you thought you were off the hook, didn't you? Huh. Mm -mm. Not even a thread. Not even a thread. Where's your passion for worship? Have you lost the confession of your mouth in praise and adoration? Church, listen to me. Is this still on? Our worship is not only, you heard me say this the other day, not only the clapping of our hands, that's appreciation, that's wonderful. But believers in God, and I believe we have a house full of them today, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, Dan and I came from a church that you know, we sat there quietly. Okay. You probably had more reverence 
for the house of the Lord in your church than we have in ours. I understand that. But I also know this. As a believer, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. What do I say? Okay, so what do I say? You can say, Jesus Christ is Lord. You can say that over and over and over. Or let me give you something else. Why don't you say the same things that the four and 20 elders are singing right now in the heavens around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. <laughs> Memorize that. Say it over and over. But at some point, seasoned person like me, do not let the king of Sodom rob your voice and the confession of your mouth unto the king. It is not worth the exchange of your soul for it. You want me to quit? I implore you today, not a thread will you touch of what king Sodom, the king of Sodom wants to offer in exchange for your soul. I don't know about you. Brent, come on. Where are you? Oh, you're over there. I don't know about you, I can speak for me. I want to live every day of my life facing the two, knowing that I'm facing two kings. And I want to say to the king of Salem, I lift my hands to you in surrender and service. Does anybody join me in that? Would you do it right now? Just put aside whatever's in your hand. To the king of Salem, we say, I lift my hands to you in surrender and service. I am yours, Lord. I've given my life to you. It is yours to command where you lead me. That's what I say to the king of Salem. But to the king of Sodom I say, not even a thread. Not even a thread. Say it, church. Not even a thread will I take of what you're offering. I want nothing of that. I'll take, I'm not even going to touch it. Not even a thread. Because I have committed my life to the eternal King, my Redeemer, my Deliverer, the one who's ransomed my soul. Not a thread will I take of what you're offering. And in that moment when you make those two statements to those two kings, I want you to know I stand on the assurance of the Word of God today that all the power of heaven will be available to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen.